because the rest of the chapter, uh, in part, is going to talk about Moses' death. Now, who wrote the Pentateuch? So, uh, are you envisioning Moses' writing, uh, you know, so the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days? Uh, that'd be kind of odd to write about your own death and the weeping that's happening after you die, and especially describing that kind of as a past tense event. So what do you think about that? To be fair to Moses, that's probably the least weird thing that has happened to <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there have been some weird things, uh, but lot, still, a lot of people want to make sure they're mourned after they're dead. That way, he can write it beforehand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. If he predicts it, then it's got to happen. Yeah, he can write it whether he did or not. Yeah, reports of my death were greatly exaggerated. Uh, yeah, so let it be written. So let it be done. Yeah. <laughs> So, but, but still, is it not a little odd? And then, the Lord's showing him all this land, but he's describing the land in terms of the tribes, not where they are. Those tribes aren't there right now. That's where they're actually going to be a sign. But in Dan's case, not even where they're going to be a sign, where they're going to end up migrating. So, there seems to be some things written here that you would think wouldn't be written by Moses. Moses wouldn't have known or at least be odd for Moses to write it in the case of his death and the mourning after it and all that sort of thing. So, that leads us to stop and think about some things. Um, first of all, are we locked into the idea that Moses had to write this? I don't know that there's anything in the Bible that says Moses wrote every word of the Pentateuch. I mean, we know that Moses wrote a lot of it. Different things say that. Uh, but it doesn't mean he had to write Deuteronomy 34. Why couldn't someone else have written that? I mean, we, a lot of the books in the Old Testament, we don't even know who the author was. Um, you know, I think the bulk of uh, the Pentateuch, I think we can say that Moses wrote it. Um... So, so maybe we just ought to say some somebody later on wrote, you know, Deuteronomy thirty-four. I mean, we could say that Moses just wrote all this prophetically. You know, he knew what was going to happen, and he writes it. Maybe particularly like about the land. Maybe Moses writes in terms of how he knows from God that the the places will be named and what tribes will be there and so forth. I mean, is there anything that would keep God from knowing that? <laughs> and revealing that through Moses. So that's a possibility. Let me suggest this possibility also. It is possible sometimes that these five books were updated by a later editor. There are some things earlier. Look at Genesis 14, for example. Genesis 14, 14, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men born in his house, 318, and he went and pursued as far as Dan. Well, yeah, Genesis 14, 14. I mean, surely, wasn't Dan before Dan was there. Yeah, it's kind of, that's what would be Dan. It's not Dan then. Did Moses write as far as Dan? You know, maybe he did. But is it possible that somebody later on switched the name? 
because they knew what the name had been. And, and is there any particular problem with that? We are saying that the final product was superintended over by God, and it was what God wanted written. We're not locked into Moses having to write every word, because God never said he did. You know, we can see Moses wrote the majority of this in various ways, but, but there's nothing that would keep God from inspiring a later editor to make some updates. There's several little things like that in Genesis and in these books that are like, well, you know, it doesn't seem so likely Moses would have written that like that. This seems like something that, you know, a place name has been put in from later on. Maybe he said that prophetically, but it would almost make more sense if somebody later on updated the term. Uh, and, and I think that can be within God's inspiration without it being a particular problem. That's the, those, I, I'm mentioning those things mostly because those are the sort of things that people will bring up as to how you can't trust the Bible. You know, uh, said it was written by Moses, but couldn't have been written by Moses, things like that. And, and a lot of times when people come up with these skeptical objections of the Bible, a little bit of reflection makes you realize there's not a lot of substance to it. You know, there's several possibilities as how to explain it, but it's really not an objection to the inspiration of the Bible. It just means we may have to further refine our understanding of how it was written. Thoughts and comments about all that? Clint. I was going to say another thing to think about. Um, you may have said this not while I was thinking, but uh, I think it's uh, a fallacy to assume that they wrote the things down during the time that they happened. You know, Moses wasn't present during the events in Genesis. Right. So he wrote that a long time afterwards, and maybe by the time that he wrote Genesis, it was called Dan. So they would have known, but... The problem is, it wouldn't have been called Dan because Dan, Dan entered the land well, yeah. for Dan to live there. Yeah. But yes, you're certainly right about that. We're not locked in to Moses describing things in terms of their ancient names. Yeah. You can certainly use the terms from his day, and we would do that very same thing. You know, uh, so yeah. There, there's a lot of things to think about that the, the moment somebody comes at you with something, well, this can't be from God, look at this. Take it with a grain of salt and just look at it and think about it. Don't let it shake your faith the moment you don't have an immediate explanation and they've been thinking about it for years and trying to doctor it up into some kind of an objection. Uh, because that's what I, 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 you hear those things. You read those things. And every once in a while you'll read them from some really clever author who really puts a lot of work into being persuasive and putting the spin on things in a way that really makes it look that way. And a lot of times you have to stop and think, wait a minute. What's the real evidence here? As opposed to what's the spin is putting on it. You know, the facts really are not so overwhelming. What's overwhelming is he just twi he twisted this and, and got it worked into something that sounds pretty bad. But just look at it carefully. You know, some of the people who write skeptical things about the Bible are kind of lawyers. And they're good at doctoring up the case to make it look stronger than what it is. Go back and say, okay, what are the facts? And what are possible ways to account for those facts? And a lot of times, some of the objections will just practically evaporate. You realize, there's really nothing to that. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, and that becomes a concern sometimes. You know, a lot of you are relatively younger. You know, one of these days you may go to college, and you know what you're going to want to take in college. You're going to have some electives. And there's going to be a class on uh, the Old Testament. 
in your public college and you're like, wow, I didn't know they had classes like this in college. I want to take that. That'd be an easy elective. Well, <laughs> be prepared. You know, hard telling what they may be saying about the Old Testament. You know, and their whole point may be to try to show you why the Old Testament is not inspired of God and it's, you know, mythology and legend and, and things like that. They may be all into trying to shake your faith in that. And they'll come up with things that you're like, oh, I never saw that. I never thought about that. I don't know. And so you've got to just keep your feet on the ground, keep studying, even seek for help from people who've heard that before and may have thought it through before. And, and realize, you know, a lot of times they're, they, they can do a whole lot with, you know, a tooth and a pit, bit of a bone, kind of like those uh, evolutionary men, you know, or whatever. They don't have much to go on, but they sure do doctor it up to make it sound like it. Go back and think, okay, what are they really, what, what evidence do they really have for Maybe that's too much for that, but anyhow. Thoughts and comments on those ideas? Yes, Claire. Um, so, I don't, could have Moses really seen all of this land from Mount Nebo? Because it says God showed him this land. Do you think it might have been possible that God enabled his eyes to see that? Maybe, but can't you see a pretty good waves with the naked eye? Yeah, I mean, you know, if, as long as you don't have anything obstructing your vision. Look out mountain in Tennessee, you see... Seven states, states right? Seven states. Yeah, I've never been up there, but I guess it's true. I mean, yeah, if you're high enough up where you can see, wow, I don't know how far you can see. I mean, I know that there's oh, down in the Louisville area in Floyd's Knobs, uh, Frank Alford had a house where he all windows at the back of the house was up on the knobs. Good thing we could see clear over to the other side of Louisville. You know, I suppose that's 20, 20 miles anyway, 25 miles. And, and it wasn't like that was as far as we could see. That was just kind of as far as the, the vision went because it was kind of flat after that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and that was from a knob. That was from a knob, exactly. I want to be from a mountain. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know from a mountain. I, I don't think. But I don't have any problem with God showed it to him either. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think it may be that God just showed it to him in the sense he led him up there and he showed him, not that there was any necessarily special vision. Yeah, if God wanted to, you know, take away the mountains and give him special binoculars or whatever, but I suspect you could really see it from there. You know, I don't think... Remember, when you think of the nation of Israel, don't think of uh, something the size of the United States. You know. I was going to say that the land of Israel is about a third of the size of the state of Indiana. Right. The whole yeah. area. Yeah. And and also just to point out that it does say in verse seven that Moses might have been hundred and twenty <coughs> years old, but his eye was not dipped or his vigor abated. Although to be honest, I kinda of leave to the God showed him things. Yeah. Other than just mere physical sight, but Yeah. Yeah, whichever way it was. Yeah, it's interesting that Moses died at hundred and twenty, but he really wasn't that old. You know, in terms of his physical stamina and things like that. I was going to say, either way, you get this very thorough picture that almost, I'm, I'm reminded of God's mercy maybe a little bit on Moses, that he saw all of it, that he, he brought him up there to see the whole thing, and that God showed him the whole thing. And, and so I guess whether he was showing him every detail of it or whether Moses was just seeing it, it's this idea that God didn't just give Moses a glimpse. But it talks about how he saw this part and this part and this part. And, and it just, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but it seems like 
a merciful last moment for God. Merciful, I agree, but also it surely was frustrating. Well, you can yeah. see it, you can't get there. Monica. But, and maybe this is not what he means by that, but I like to think of it as God saying, this is the inheritance I'm giving Dan, and this is the inheritance. You know what I mean? Showing him that this is what I'm about to do. You're not going to live to see the people living there, but this is where you know the people are going to be. Yeah. You know, because Moses has been with so. this difficult people through the wilderness and all these things, and he's led them to the edge, and now God's going to finish it. Yeah, although the inheritance he gave Dan wasn't the part that no. became Dan's. But yeah, that could well be. I can, I can definitely see that possibility. I am intrigued, though, by this idea that while he was really old, his death was premature because he hadn't really aged like his age would have indicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it gives me hope. Uh, I don't know if there's any hope. Possibility of being 120 and uh, not having your idea where your vigor abated. Uh, probably not. But uh, that is interesting because Moses uh, is old for his day, even. You know, remember Genesis has really, really, really long ages when people died. But outside of Genesis, there's not more than a handful of people that died over 100 that we know. Just a half a dozen or so. So at 120, Moses was getting up there, but it wasn't like he was. You know, because God had really preserved his health and his vigor and his mm-hmm. youthfulness. And uh, so, I mean, wow, this is really uh, really kind of a major shift right now. <coughs> Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. You know, notice Joshua 1, one now came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. You kind of, we kind of, uh, when, 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 you, when you see these uh, Old Testament books in those first few books, they kind of like interlock, you know, the kind of the end of one is the beginning of the next one, so they just kind of fit together like puzzle pieces. Like Luke and Acts. Like Luke and Acts, absolutely, yes. The kind of that interlocking thing. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Uh, and, you know, Joshua took over the leadership of his people. You know, and and God was going to work through Joshua then. Moses had given his endorsement, his blessing to Joshua. God had, had given him wisdom. But but as far as Moses is concerned, there was nobody like Moses. Nobody that God had the face-to-face relationship with that he had with Moses. Really, maybe there was nobody who had worked the signs and wonders in the land of Egypt like Moses had. You know, Moses was quite a man. I mean, you know, when you're looking at Old Testament characters that, you know, maybe had an impact, well, you know, there's not many that's going to be where Moses was. You know, I mean, if you were trying to say people with, with great positive impact in the Old Testament, Moses, maybe Abraham and David, I, I don't know that you could go... Uh, anybody else would be in the category of those three exactly. Uh, probably, maybe nobody else. Uh, nobody else's names were more often mentioned in the New Testament. Those three. I'd have to check that out to be sure. Um, one more thing I might notice. This is kind of out of order, but notice uh, 34:4. This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, that's what he tells Moses. This is the land I swore to give them. Now look back at Deuteronomy one. He frames Deuteronomy with those promises. Um, you've got uh, uh, verse 8, Deuteronomy 1.8. Here's the land that I sort of give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he starts Deuteronomy and he ends Deuteronomy about eight verses in and about eight verses from the end by saying, here's the land 
that I gave. Uh, that's that's really the focus. Deuteronomy is right before they cross into the promised land. All right, comments or questions here on Deuteronomy, Mike? Well, two things about Moses. One thing, he said he was really old, but God had preserved his youth and his vigor. And again, and I don't know what, if this was the motive for him writing it this way, but, but isn't it so sad that he still has such potential to do so much more, but because of sin, he lost that opportunity to do more for the Lord. I mean, that may be one thing. Yeah, he didn't die of old age. Right, and that's clear from this. Yes. It's, it's a clear point. And the second thing is that, that Joshua takes over the leadership, and there was no one like Moses. But, you know, God can replace great, powerful leaders who no one may ever compare with and still do great things with somebody that comparatively is a lesser person than I mean, what Joshua did. God's still behind the driving force behind it. The Lord is with us. It's more the Lord being with us than the person who's leading. That's exactly right. Good point. Yes, Daniel. Just for what it's worth, Wikipedia says Mount Nebo is about twenty-seven is an elevated ridge about twenty-seven hundred feet above sea level, and the view from the summit provides a panorama of the Holy Land and to the north, a more limited one of the of the Jordan Valley. Jericho is usually visible from the summit, as is Jerusalem on a very clear day. Okay. Very good. So, so there may be something to the idea of uh, God. Uh, extra blessing his vision to make it all the way down to the mention. I know that's a very minor point. But. Yeah. Very good. Um, what is there about the body of Moses to argue about? <clears throat> um, well, didn't I don't know. Uh, yeah, evidently. Uh, God seems to have buried him and nobody knows where it was, but you do have that reference in Jude uh, verse uh, 9 uh, but Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. I really don't know what Michael disputed with the devil in connection with the body of Moses about. Somebody Arguing heard? about where it was born, buried. Apparently <laughs> 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 not. <laughs> <laughs> Michael and angelic grave diggers? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Would the body wait. have been necessary to appear in Matthew 17 for the transfiguration? I don't know. What God said is what I really thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't know if Satan was somehow trying to commandeer the body of Moses or, you know, what? I don't know. It could have become an object of worship, at, you know, a shrine to. So Michael's standing there, hanging out with the body, waiting until God gets the digging the hole. Well, they got Joseph's bones packed away somewhere, right? Right. Because he asked his body. They took his bodies over. Right. Right. Maybe they take the bones of Moses and enshrine them. They could. Yeah, and, and you could imagine it could have turned into a stumbling block. I mean, even that bronze serpent did at one point. I don't know I, what dispute that was beyond me. I think the point in Jude is just deference to God. You know, so much respect for God that instead of making his own rebuke, you know, he realizes the Lord 
that will rebuke and condemn and, and destroy. One respect for the devil. It's not like you know, he didn't want to say something really bad to the devil, you know, but it's respect for the Lord's right to be the one who does the judgment. Other thoughts on Deuteronomy? Just the other time, there's several times where they, you know, we talk about the names of the place, and there are several where they go into a place, what's the one that means destruction or something, but it's like they, they go into Horma. The, they go into Horma and destroy it and then name it Horma. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> because that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, so we call it by the name they changed it to, right. even there's in the many, text. Many of those. Yes, you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Other thoughts? <laughs> Alright, well that's Deuteronomy, guys, so I'm glad we were able to uh, do that. Thank you for letting me hijack this uh, study for uh, finishing Deuteronomy.